Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist interview at the War Memorial Opera House. My name is Claire Sheridan. I'm the founder of the LEAP program at St. Mary's College of California, and I'm your host this afternoon. It's Sunday, January 31st, 2016, and this is program two. Many of these Meet the Artist interviews are available as podcasts on our website at sfballet.org, so with that in mind, I'd also like to welcome our online listeners. My guest today danced with the Joffrey Ballet for 10 years before joining San Francisco Ballet as a principal dancer in 1992. She then gave us 17 years of brilliant, inspired, and fearless dancing, including lead roles in Giselle, Swan Lake, Sleeping Beauty, Romeo and Juliet, and Don Q. She, in uh, 2009, she retired from the company, and today she is creating the next generation of superb dancers as a member of the faculty at the San Francisco Ballet School. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the beloved Tina LeBlanc. Thank you. <laughs> now, this stage holds a lot of um, memories for you. Can you talk about some of your fondest memories of performing? Oh, goodness. I don't even know where to begin with that. Um, there's too many years. Actually, with the Joffrey, we would come every July for two weeks. So... I'm very familiar with this theater, and when we actually moved here, I was so, I feel so blessed to have had, called this home for 17 years. Um, fond memories. I th you know, I, so many incredible roles, so many incredible people, dancers. Um, I miss being, like, we were just backstage, you know, being in class before the show and feeling the excitement, feeling the tension leaving the theater after the show when it's dark and it's like, ah, oh, you know, either sated <laughs> or disappointed, depending on the, how the show would go. But um, those little things are what I really remember and miss. Um, as a dancer, what motivated you? I'm sure there were like different stages, like this motivated me when I first started and then and then, but can you talk about like the, the progression of that motivation? Um, I think I've always been a little bit of a perfectionist and very self-driven, and uh, that's, that's what obviously got me started when I was quite young. I was about 11 when I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I better start working. <laughs> I've been doing it, you know, since I was three. So then when I was 14, I knew that it was my last year at home, and I, I just buckled down and it was just internal. I don't know. I just, everything, it was no longer my social time. I really buckled down that last year at home. And then um, I did lose myself for a little while in there when I was at the Joffrey. I'd gotten into a company. Uh, I wasn't dancing lead roles yet. And I kind of started to lose my drive. And um, that came back really fast when I started getting lead roles and that um, pressure, you know, really kicked me into high drive. And um, coming out here, well, I had a few teachers that really, really motivated me. My first one, of course, the one who got me on my road to classical ballet, um, Marcia Dale Weary. We have several dancers from her from Central Pennsylvania Youth Ballet. You can look in your programs and figure out which ones came from my school. <laughs> um, Let's see, a teacher in New York, Maggie Black, who we lost this last year. Um, and, and overall, the music, the music always drove me. So if I had a piece that I didn't really care about the music, it was difficult. 
I can imagine. Um, You've written that you really started to develop as an artist in your early 30s after having your first child, and that your artistic peak came after having your second baby. So in times past, you know, ballerinas were discouraged from having kids, but thanks to pioneers like you, that's changed. Can you talk about how motherhood helped you become a better dancer? Um, with my first child, I realized that there was more to life <laughs> than dance, and uh, it, it really put my priorities in perspective. And this became my fun place. This became, you know, the time that was just me and I could just play. And the home, that was the real job. That was, you know, especially with that first one. Like, what does he want? Why is he crying? <laughs> but um, with the second one, I think because I was getting older, I really felt time ebbing and uh, wanted to take advantage of every moment. And I just enjoyed. Um, in 2007, you, you tore your ACL, your, your knee, and instead of retiring at that point, this lady decided to go through rehab and, and get her strength back and uh, dance her last performance at a gala on your own terms. You came back dancing stronger than ever. Um, you, you, you mentioned what you missed. Do you want to elaborate a little bit? Like after you retired, what did you miss? I can tell you right off what I don't miss. Oh, yes. I don't miss the pain. <laughs> I don't miss, you know, sore toes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I miss having my body in that kind of shape, you know, but, I mean, I was always so tired of keeping my body in that kind of shape because you, it's, it's never-ending. You've got to be in there every morning driving, you know, so... Um, I miss... I mean, it's, it's very much twofold. You know, I, I miss my body, but I don't miss having to spend that time. And you have to spend that time if you want your body like that. Um, I miss the camaraderie a lot of uh, my peers. It's very different now. You know, a lot of these kids on stage, I've, all, I've been teaching this my seventh year, and I've worked with a lot of them as students. So you really see the passage of time then. But, but that camaraderie is very important in a company, and sometimes you see these TV shows and you have these evil dancers in a company putting glass in each other's toe shoes and you know, wishing ill, and you can't function in a company that way without being able to trust each other. So it always kind of bums me out to see that. Uh, it's TV, they have to have drama. Okay, all right. Now, on to your second career at the San Francisco Ballet School. Uh, what ages are you working with now as a teacher? Uh, I have the level sixes and the level eights, which are the upper levels. Uh, the sixes are approximately 14, 15 years old, and the eights are generally, well, they can be as young as 16, uh, 18, 17, 18, 19. And um, what's important to you as a teacher? What do you really want to focus on? First and foremost, I go for placement. Because once they get their placement corrected, uh, the rest of it will, they can just come alive. So for me, it's drilling the placement and musicality. Musicality. In the upper level, the last level, I, I, do, I go beyond that with the dancing and breathing and the details, the fingertips, the heads and eyes. Um, I do that a little bit with the sixes as well, but for them, it's much more important to, to just get their placement so that the technique comes easily, and they don't have to think about it so much. Do you have any advice for uh, young dancers who may not have the, quote, perfect body? You know, very few of us do. <laughs> um, 
there are so many dance companies out there. There's going to be a place for you if you really, really want it. And if there's not, you make one. You know, so many people have gone on to start small companies themselves. Um, you just have to have, if you really want it, it, it's out there. You have to have that, that tenacity. But if a person um, doesn't have extreme amount of flexibility, or, um, but they have other qualities, is there any hope for them to find a place? Flexibility is probably one of the easiest things to improve. There's, there's always a limit to each body, but um, it's not like short legs. There's nothing you can do about that, <laughs> you know, or, or proportionate, uh, proportional problems. Um, but flexibility, you can always stretch, spend more time stretching, strengthening. You know, they have all kinds of things to help dancers now, like Pilates and um, what's the other one they do? Uh, gyrotonics, okay, yeah. yeah. So all kinds of things that they can do to, to cross-train. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Tina LeBlanc, and in a short while we'll be able to take some questions from the audience, so you can start thinking about those. Now, now that you have the perspective of a, of a teacher and a mentor, um, can you describe the difference in the world of ballet between a good dancer and a great dancer? We all, we all can see it. Like sometimes you're, you're watching, you go, whoa, and you see this dancer just shines. But how do you describe that? I would call it an inner light. I would call it something from the inside that comes out, not just through the body, but through the eyes. I try to impress that into my students, that you know, you have to, f to communicate, that we don't use words, we use our bodies. Every step we do is a word, every sequence is a paragraph, so you have to write the story, you have to communicate to the audience. Um, and also, you have to keep in mind that each one of you has a different taste. So what appeals to one might not appeal to a, another. You know, somebody might want somebody who's really gutsy, and somebody else might want somebody who's fluid. So, you know, a lot of it is in the eye of the beholder. Um, let's talk about today's performance. You have a special connection to the first ballet, Rubies. Can you talk about your involvement there? Well, I've, I did Rubies for many, many years. Um, I got asked to be the ballet mistress for this. I think they were shorthanded when they were setting it. And I had just um, set a piece on the trainees that Helgi had created on me. And um, I think he kind of had that in his mind. Oh, wait, she's just done this. Maybe I'll give her a try. <laughs> so um, I've been rehearsing them and like always, not as much as any of us want, because we always want more rehearsal, but uh, you know, it's a tight schedule, so we do the best we can, but it's been really fun for me to work with professionals again. Yeah, I talked to Vanessa Zahorian backstage, and she was really raving about your insight and your guidance in this, and she says it's all about the small things, like where to look, and because you've done it before, and you're able to communicate because you're a good teacher, it's been very helpful to her. Yeah, she's one of the ones from my school. <laughs> I attended the uh, dress rehearsal for program two, and this is a, it's nice to see this contrast. Um, the dancers stay on stage after they do the dance because they need to get notes. 
And uh, so they hit the final pose, you know, ta-da. And then there's something happens that the audience doesn't see. There's this collective exhale where, you know, the, the torsos collapse, the hands go on the hips, the, the head bows, and the dancers all seem to shrink about three inches in height. And it makes you realize the tremendous amount of lift that you have to have to pull off this ballet business. That takes a lot of strength and a lot of energy. So it's always funny to see that contrast of, and then this collapse. But then um, you come on stage and you're giving notes to the collapsed group. And um, what were you telling them? Point your feet, stay in line. <laughs> You're doing the wrong step. <laughs> um, sometimes, you know, not on the rhythm. I mean, while they're dancing, uh, they have a table set up here in the orchestra, and we sit with a little light, and we get to take notes, and, you know, maybe somebody was out of line, or, or um, you know, the whole thing didn't work quite right, so we had to go over a couple of movements in the third movement, but... Um, you know, it could be anything. It could be timing, it could be spacing, and it could be technique. Are you nervous when you watch the performance of it? I mean, you're hoping that, oh, so-and-so does well? Are you confident that... Um, with this group, I'm pretty confident. You know, it's... Uh, I mean, they're professionals. And, you know, at that point, when the, when the curtain goes up, it's not my job anymore. That's, it's on them now. <laughs> but with, with a balancing ballet, what... What advice can you give so that the, the original intent of the choreographer, George Balanchine, is, is honored? Because you don't perform a balancing work the way you would perform Swan Lake. Um, well, having never worked with him, uh, I can't say what his original intent was. I can only go on what the people who set the, the ballets go by and how they coach it. And of course, everybody does it a little differently. But the one thing I've noticed in all Balanchine ballets above anybody else, almost anybody else, Mark Morris, um, he's so very musical, so musical. There's a count for everything. Nothing's rushed unless he means it to be rushed. Um, there's a step for everything unless it takes longer, a step for every count, unless it takes longer than one count. It's just so in the music, so much so that years later, I've heard music and my body starts doing the steps and I can't figure out what ballet I'm doing. It's like, what? I know I've danced this, what is it? But um, often it's balancing because it's so musical, it gets in your body. Well, speaking of Mark Morris, that's the second ballet, Drink to Me Only With Thine Eyes. Did you dance in that? I did. Um, I wasn't the original cast, I was second year around. But again, he's another one that's so very musical, but I've done most of the pieces that he's done on this company. What's the essence of this particular ballet? Well, there's the piano on the stage and people dancing around. There's no, mm, it's all in white or, or a very pale, pale color. Um, it's ju it just is the music. There's no story, there's no plot, it's not dark, it's just the music, I find. There's a little bit of humor. Um, you'll see, you'll see, you'll find out. <laughs> Oh, have you seen Fearful Symphonies? That is a, sorry. <laughs> a Fearful Symmetries. Can you tell us your impressions? Yes, I saw it opening night, and I'd only seen snippets of it in rehearsal. I was trying to save it, and I didn't stay for the dress rehearsal for it. I just I wanted it to be new on the stage, them full out, because sometimes the dress rehearsals, they don't do full out because they're saving their energy. So I wanted to see it for real. And... One person put it perfectly. It's primal. 
it's intense. It's very, I mean, uh, you can, it, very primal. I don't, that's a, the perfect word. I don't want to say any more about it. Um, I loved it. I, I just saw it at dress rehearsal. And Li Liam Scarlett, the choreographer, um, you can see him in action. If you like, go to YouTube and you, you write in World Ballet Day, San Francisco Ballet 2015, hour three, you can um, uh, see him rehearse this, this piece. And the guy, he's young from the Royal Ballet, and he can demonstrate everything. So when he would come and give notes, he would like say, oh, no, lift her this way. And he'd flip somebody around. And he, he's so young and strong and creative. And it's, we're really fortunate to have him choreograph for this company. Um, I'd like to start taking questions from the audience a little sooner than normal, because I think you, you have a lot of fans out here. So I'll give you a chance to uh, uh, be able to address these questions. Yes? Can, can you elaborate a little bit about placement, what that means when you teach? Um, over my many, many years in dance, uh, through my own self-discovery and what was taught to me, uh, my focus is putting the pelvis in a place where you can really get the most turnout that your body can give. That's the, the biggest thing, is the pelvis. Beyond that is how the back comes out of that, the shapes of the arms, the shapes of the neck. That would be, and how they all work together. <laughs> and then developing the strengths to hold that placement. I think that's, that's the hardest thing, especially for those you know, adults who start taking ballet. You know what you want to do. You, you, you're, you know, your, your brain knows, but your body's just not strong enough to hold that alignment. And so you have to, that's one of the reasons you want to take class all the time is to build the strength to hold that alignment. It's all about repetition. Repetition, that's why they do six days a week from the time they're this big. It's on the aisle. Can you tell, like in the last year of training, which students are going to make it, and do you any, do, do, you do anything special f for them? Um, once they reach the, the top level of this school, the chances of them going on are quite good. Um, maybe not here, maybe somewhere else, depend, I mean, because even if Helgi loved every single one of our students, he doesn't have room for all of them. He has to make those choices. But as I said before, there are many different companies out there, and hopefully everybody finds a place. But um, you, you always know who the spectacular ones are, but you don't always know. There, there are people, some of our students, that have gotten jobs that I was like, wow, okay, that's, that's awesome. I wasn't sure but they found a place for them. So, I mean, it's never a guarantee. There's no guarantee at all, no matter how talented you are. No, that's not true. If you're really, really talented, you're gonna make it somewhere. But um, it just, yeah, you gotta just keep, keep pushing, keep that focus, keep working, try not to get down on yourself. It's very competitive for the ladies in particular, you know, very competitive, so timing, helps, depending on what companies need, what dancers. The recession really made people, um, dancers, not move around so much. In my younger days, people were always bouncing around different companies, trying to find a place that really suited them. And we still see that, but it seems less now. People are holding on to their jobs. 
Well, what are the benefits of, of a, a, a ballet training, even if you don't want to become a professional? Let's say, you know, you're, you're a parent and you're thinking, well, is it, if, if my daughter's not going to make the big time, is it worth it? What, what are the benefits of ballet training? You can take that discipline and that work ethic into anything you do. Anything. And we have a lot of people that work with the organization and in the school that actually used to be students. Some of them here at San Francisco Ballet. <laughs> So, you know, you may stay involved in the organization in some way. You know, not everybody wants to be a dancer. I've known people that, that went straight to teaching. So, you know, some people don't like the pressures of the stage or, or maybe they're just not fulfilled with what they get to do, so they move on to something that's a little more fulfilling, but they might stay connected to the arts, and then some people go completely the other direction and go to school and be a doctor. <laughs> but I think what I, what I found is that... Um, because I founded a program for professional dancers to get their Bachelor of Arts degree. And we found that once a dancer, you have the work ethic and the ability to, to be self-disciplined and the drive to succeed in, in almost everything. And so we found that these former professional dancers throughout, uh, it's a national program, um, go on to be neonatal nurses, lawyers, doctors, second grade teachers. They, they have the skills. So I put my kid in a ballet class because it's, it just... It, it teaches them that work ethic and the self-discipline. I tried. I tried to put my kids in. They wouldn't do it. <laughs> yes. So I have a question around inspiration. Having been a performer for so many years and now being a teacher, do you find the same, like, do you find that you get as inspired teaching as you, as you were as a performer, given that those two things are related but, but different disciplines? And also, when you're teaching and you find a student has maybe lost inspiration or lost that time or that This is a question about inspiration, and uh, you had it as a, as a dancer. Do you still have it as a teacher? And the part B is uh, if, if you find one of your students has lost inspiration, how do you help them recover that? Um, I, I get inspired myself by watching other dancers, or it's very inspirational when I get into the classroom and they're having a good day. You know, my students are having a good day, or maybe just one of them is having a good day. Um, that can be very inspiring because you feel partly responsible. You feel like I've given this, them information to help. Now granted, I'm not the only one giving them information, but you know, it's adding. It's adding those layers. Um, when I feel that one of my students has lost their way, I try very hard with all of my students to stay connected, to give them corrections, um, to make sure that they feel that they can do this, that it's not beyond them. And so when they get a little stuck, um, I try to take the time to open them up, to take, you know, to t take them someplace private if they want to talk and say, you know, what's going on? Um, why are you feeling this way? No, look at the progress you've made. Um, and try to talk them through it because sometimes it's just a matter of, of putting things in perspective. Uh, ballet, like I said before, it's not, <laughs> it's not live or die. We're not saving lives. <laughs> We're adding beauty to the world. So. I try to, to make them think of it in perspective. When I have kids in tears in class, I'm like, oh, come on. It's ballet. You're having a bad day. Tomorrow will be better. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I've been through it. So I, I really try to walk, walk them through it if I'm aware of it. Yes. Well, you go on this side. Yes, sir.
when you um, are teaching your level eight students, can you talk about breathing and initiation of movement? I, I probably don't talk about breathing enough. Um, ballet dancers do have a tendency, especially as students, more as students, to, to hold a lot of tension. I see it in their necks, I see it in their hands. Um, you know, all you can do is just keep saying it. <laughs> Relax, breathe, you know, feel the energy go through the fingertips. Um, it's, it's hard to break a habit, so once the kids get that in them, all that, like a parent, all you can do is just keep reminding them. You know, tr I try to approach things in different ways with imagery. Um, it always helped me as a dancer, so I try to use a lot of imagery when I'm talking. I know there's a book out there that I haven't gotten yet about imagery. Can you give an example of imagery? Let's say the person is holding their breath and... Um, one that comes to mind that I've used a lot is sometimes their, their hands don't follow the rest of the movement. Um, the, either there's too much tension so it looks stiff, it's not actually moving as if it's rippling down, the, the energy's not rippling down the arm and through the fingertips and out. So one of the things I say is, you know, as you lift your arm, there's a fur coat and you can just barely touch that fur coat. <laughs> so that makes their fingertips ta uh, trail just a little bit. And that's the one that comes to mind. Um, I use the imaginary partner a lot. <laughs> you know, when they're having trouble finding their balance or um, keeping one thing where it should be, one body part where it should be. Um, it's easiest in balances. I say, you know, can't you feel that hand right there? Where's your imaginary partner? <laughs> you know? And funny, it helps. I don't know why. Just having you know, maybe that little extra attention in a certain area. <laughs> yes, sir. There's a question about venues and th theaters, and do they have different vibes, and are there some venues that you've performed, and maybe when you're on tour, that are spectacular, and you, and you advise people to go to a ballet at that particular venue? Yeah, I'm not sure if I can recall all of the venues that I have danced at, but, um, you know, when, as an audience member, I prefer smaller houses. I love going to Yerba Buena. Um, and even the palace, just because you can really get up and see the dancers. With the bigger orchestra pits, it's, um, it, there's a space there that, uh, as an audience member, I don't really care for. As a dancer, I loved it because I, I wanted that distance. I, I preferred a, a black hole. I didn't want to see faces. It can be distracting <laughs> and nerve-wracking. Um, sometimes we hold showings in the studios and we have you know people set up in chairs and there's no difference in height or anything so especially being short you look out and you're eye to eye with people sitting there right in front of you staring at you <laughs> and just like now <laughs> and um it, and it can be a little a little nerve-wracking uh, there was one theater, and I, I think it was Orange County, that was hard to dance in because the house was not symmetrical. The house was, the uh, balconies were like jagged, and so the runner lights along them, it, it was a little offsetting, especially when you had to turn on center. It was like, wait, I, I don't know where center is. <laughs> so um, I prefer symmetry as a dancer, but as an audience member, I definitely prefer a, a closer house. Time flies, folks. We are out of time. 
but they don't come with a hook and pull us off. Okay, one last question, very, very quick. The, the question is, can an adult actually read a, reach a nice level of, of uh, expertise if they start as an adult? Of course not. <laughs> but I figure if, if they come and they take an adult class, they want to learn. So um, I really try to explain things, and I try to explain to them what muscles to use and how to use them, how to hold their arms, how to pull in their stomach and not forget. <laughs> um, I, I try to give them the information that they're there for. I don't expect it to look like what you're going to see on the stage later. Yeah, because once the body is set, it's set. But you can make pro progress, because I've taught adults. You can make good progress and walk out of class feeling, I did a good job. <laughs> On that happy note, um, if you'd like to uh, relive the experience of this Meet the Artist interview, you can listen to podcasts of this and other Meet the Artist interviews on our website at sfballet.org. But right now, please join me in thanking our guest today, Ms. Tina LeBlanc.